She had never been there to be at his house, so we had a, we had a great time. Mom and I, we were trucking down the road. So, Mom, you give us all hope, you know, to see you at 90. We're not afraid to grow older. <laughs> I do have something special I want to share with you tonight. And um, I really believe it will affect every one of us here that are gathered here tonight. It might be for you just a confirmation. You're doing all the right things. It might be for you a help in a time of need. And I want to talk to you tonight. Now, we're going to pray in a minute. But I want to talk to you about living a life free from fear. Living a fearless life. And the Bible talks a lot about this subject. Matter of fact, God said more than anything else to his people, Old and New Testament, fear not, fear not, fear not. I think he's trying to get something across. The New Testament tells us in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, God's not given us a spirit of fear, but he's given us a spirit of love, power, and a sound mind. That can also be translated with common sense. Yeah? And, and that we can, don't have to have worries and concerns, that we can learn to go to God in prayer and cast our cares and burdens over on him. And I know that preach is so good on Wednesday and Sunday, but you know, you can learn to live that on Tuesdays and Thursdays. It's not about what we get excited about when we're in the house. It's what we take from the house and apply it in our everyday lives. That will bring God glory. And I think of another scripture where Paul told the church, he said, you know, you need to put on the full armor of God that you might be able to withstand and having done all to stand in the evil day. Now, we don't like that part. Paul was implying that there will come a time, a a second, a moment, a situation in your life where you can count that an evil day. It might be on your job. It might be with your health. It might be something in your family. And it's about those moments I want to talk about. We're going to look at what the Bible talks about when a seismos moment happens. Now, what, is it, what does he mean by a seismos moment? We're going to pray. Father, we want to thank you for your word tonight. Help us, as we've already heard in prayer. Give us insight, wisdom, and knowledge from your word. Give us the ability to see, to understand, to comprehend, and give us the courage to walk in that which we've not yet walked in, that we might be doers of the word and not only hearers, and that our lives bring glory to your name. Jesus, we love you. We're not ashamed to say you are the best thing that has ever happened and ever will happen for all of humanity, and we want to declare your glory and bring this gospel to the very ends of the earth that everyone might hear and have a chance to believe. We thank you for doing it tonight in this house, confirming your word. When there's someone here that maybe doesn't understand, doesn't believe that they'll come to know you. And for those who are sitting here and their minds are are being bombarded by fear and worry and doubt, that tonight your word will cause faith to rise in our hearts and that spirit of fear will be broken. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to begin by talking about why do we get afraid. And, you know, uh, Paul said in the book of Romans, in the 8th chapter, in the 15th verse, God has not given us over again to a spirit of bondage of fear. Fear is bondage. 
First uh, John chapter four says, "Perfect love is cast out fear, because fear has torment. It brings with it a, a certain amount of, of um, hurt and pain and inner struggle, and can lead to a physical problem. There are people that are ill because they're so bound up because of worry and concerns and fears. And we live in a fearful time. This world is so uncertain and certain. There's so much that's going on around us that used to be so um, um, established and things that used to be established are being shaken. Well, the Bible says everything that can be shaken will be shaken. But it shakes us sometimes when all that shaking's going on. There's a whole lot of shaking going on. I think somebody sang a song like that once, huh? But we have received a kingdom that cannot be shaken. But it's up to us to establish our hearts Trusting in the Lord, being fixed in God. So we're going to look at a story. It appears in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 8, Mark's Gospel, chapter 4, and Luke's Gospel, um, chapter 8 as well. And in these three segments, it's one and the same story. We'll begin looking in Matthew, chapter 8. It's when Jesus told his disciples to get in the boat. We're going over to the other side. And he went to sleep in the boat. And it says a great tempest. Well, let's read it. It's Matthew chapter 8, beginning in verse 23. And when he was entered into a ship, his disciples followed him. And behold, there rose a great tempest in the sea, insomuch that the ship was covered with the waves, but he was asleep. Now it says in Mark's gospel of the same account, he was asleep in the hinder part of the boat on a pillow. We'll talk about that in a minute. He was not sleeping on a nice silky kind of puffy kind of pillow. It was actually a sandbag, weighed about 100 pounds, and it was used for ballast on the ship. It was not a comfortable place to be. So it shows you how tired Jesus was, physically tired. But, you know, in this moment here, they've been ministering. Jesus has been healing the sick. He's been ministering the gospel of the kingdom. And he says, we're going to go over to the other side. When they get out on the sea, a great tempest. Now, the word that Matthew used is very significant. The word is seismos. We get our word from it, seismograph, which is how they measure earthquakes. Seismologist, a scientist who studies how earthquakes are formed and and how they come and what they can do. And, you know, that's exactly what this situation was. These men, some of them, were skilled fishermen. They were not untrained in being on this Sea of Galilee. And this Sea of Galilee is very unusual if you've ever been to Israel. It can quickly be in a storm element. It can quickly have great waves. When you think of like a lake, um, you can be very confused. Because these waves can rise up like they do on the open ocean. And it can happen in an instant of time. You see, there are things that can happen in our lives that are like this seismos, this word that Matthew used. And he only used it three times. The first time is here. The second time he used it, when Jesus hung on the cross, it said there was a great earthquake, seismos. And then he used it a third time when it says an angel came and he moved the stone and there was a great earthquake, seismos. So there was a great trembling of the earth when Jesus was crucified, 
There was a great trembling of the earth when Jesus was raised from the dead. And there was a great trembling in the hearts of the disciples when they were caught in this storm. And it's about these kind of moments I want to talk to you about. What Paul called that evil day, that surprise. When you're blindsided in life, you didn't see it coming and bang. What do we do in those moments? Do you know, in those moments, we're kind of like the disciples. Jesus is with us, we know it, but it seems like he's asleep. (laughs) Have you ever been there? You know, we don't like this story. If you really want to know the truth, we don't like this story. Because Jesus gets in the boat, they're on a mission for God, and we want to hear hallelujah and see rainbows. We have the assumption that if we're doing the will of God, well, then everything's just going to flow and, and, and work together, right? But that's not how it always works. There comes these moments. It could be a direct attack. It could be just we're in that situation. We live in a fallen world. But you know, when you're going through a seismos moment, you don't need to understand in that moment why. And you don't have to ask the big question, we all do it, why me? Why is this happening to me? You may get the answer later, you may not. What's important is, so Jesus is in your boat. What's important is, is that he is Lord over the storms. What's important is, in the seismos moments, in the turmoil of that moment, of the evil day when it arises, God is still God. His word is still true. And you have not been given a spirit of fear. Now, we're going to analyze fear in in a rather German way. We're going to be rather analytical with this tonight. We're going to look at what does fear do in us. Because, you know, fear, if you give place to it, it'll change your personality. Some people are just mean. And you don't know why they're mean. And it's really because the spirit of fear has gripped their hearts. Let's let's look at this a little bit. Let's watch the disciples' reaction. And then we're going to learn something about ourselves. Because fear comes in those moments when we are... Caught by surprise, and it, shut, it, it, it just shudders us to our core. We're so moved, and we wonder, how can this be happening? I'm sure the disciples felt this very same thing. How can this be happening? Jesus is in the boat with us, and yet he's not waking up. So we read this. Uh, let's read it in Mark's gospel. This is Mark's chapter, uh, chapter 4. Verses 37 and 38. It's the same story. We're going to go back and forth a little bit between Mark's gospel and Matthew's gospel because they give us some real insights here. It says here, And there arose a great storm of wind, verse 37, and the waves beat into the ship so that it was now full. And he was in the back part of the boat, asleep on a pillow. And verse 38 says, And they awoke him, and they said unto him, Master, carest thou not that we perish? Well, Matthew says it this way. They woke him and said, Lord, save us. In the Greek, it's three words. Lord, save dying. In other words, Lord, save us now because we're going to die. And when you put the two together, here these men come, 
to the king of kings, the lord of lords, and they demand, Lord, save us now. We're dying. Don't you care? And we all see ourselves in this picture, don't we? You know just as well as I do, that's one of the first human reactions when you're caught by surprise, when fear begins to arise. The first thing we learn about fear is it makes us very demanding. They did not go to Jesus and say, Master, creator of the universe, what can you tell us about storms? We need to have some wisdom. We need to know what are we supposed to do in this instance. How are we to respond? Are we supposed to do anything? You know, if you really study storms, it's a, it's a wonderful study in itself. I think years ago I taught this one time in the church. There's three ways the Bible teaches us to go through storms. One time, Jesus spoke to the storm. We're studying it now. Another time, he just walked over the storm. And a third example is Paul when he found a piece of wood and hung on for dear life till the storm was over. So I'm not going to tell you how to go through your storms. You do have options. The most important thing is, you say, I don't believe that. Paul hung on. Yes, he hung on for dear life till the storm was over. The important thing is, is that we learn to go to God and ask him. But they didn't do that. What fear will do is it will cause for us to be very demanding. That makes us ugly from the inside. Sometimes that's why people are like that. It will make us very controlling. I'll tell you why. At the root of all fear is a sense of losing control. And it makes us become control freaks. Lord, do something now. We're dying. Don't you care? Now, I know nobody in Faith Christian Center would ever talk to Jesus that way. It's a wonderful picture of our humanity, of what happens within us when we let something like a spirit of fear grab a hold of us. And we are living in very difficult times. We need to know and recognize when it's a spirit of fear. We need to realize what this fear can work within us because it will destroy us. We need to learn to get the peace of God, to go to the Prince of Peace and not become controlling, not become one that becomes demanding. Another thing that happens, these men had been traveling with Jesus, had seen him heal the sick, raise the dead, and feed the hungry. Not one of them considered for one moment what, he see, what they had seen and what Christ had done. When fear knocks at your door, you learn to forget everything that God has ever done for you. And I'll tell you what it will cause you to do. You will start looking for the first safe Haven you can find no matter what it costs. And safety becomes our God. That's why God says, fear not. Fear not. Fear not. We should have no other gods but the one true living God. 
spirit of fear will cause us to compromise, will cause us to hold on to things other than Jesus and the Word of God. And we forget all the wonderful things that God has done for us. You know, there are a number of commandments that Jesus gave, but there's no more commandment, things that he spoke in the imperative in the Greek, more than fear not, or take no thought, or do not worry, than this one statement, fear not. 21 times when he told us to love God and to love our neighbors, he said that eight times. But concerning fear, he said it 21 times. I think it's because it's harder for us in our natural state to deal with fear, to really look at it, to recognize it, and to resist it. But you know what? We have the ability to resist fear. Fear should have no place within us. What did John say? He that fears is not yet mature, made perfect in love. See, all fear comes from this one thought. God won't help me in this situation. And that's what I want to talk to you tonight. I want to talk to you about how we open the door of our lives to fear. There are three main doors that we can open up our lives. And we need to recognize them and keep those doors shut, locked, and throw the key away. The first door that we have to deal with is a, a, a door of insignificance. A door of insignificance. Look at this with me in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 10. Matthew, chapter 10, verse 31. I want to talk about birds for a minute, okay? Allow me to talk about birds. We're going to talk about a sparrow for a second. In Matthew chapter 10, verse 31, it says, Fear not, therefore, you are of much more value than many sparrows. One of the greatest doors that we open in our lives is when we do not feel significant. That feeling and sense of insignificance That God should see us. That God should recognize us in our time of need. That God should help us. Is a great enemy. Because in that moment of need, if you have this sense of insignificance, everybody else deserves more than me. I'm not good enough. I don't speak good enough. I don't witness good enough. I don't pray good enough. I don't fast good enough. Um, I mean, the list goes on and on and on and on of why you should convince yourself that God can help everybody else but you. Is a door that will open your life to a spirit of fear. There's wonderful truths about these little birds called the sparrows. Jesus said in one instance, he said, are not two sparrows sold for one penny? Now, today you can't get a whole lot for one penny, right? And I think sparrows, um, as much as today as back then, were really on the bottom end of the deal of a bargain. Because you couldn't do much with a sparrow. You couldn't eat them. There's no meat on them. What are you going to do with a sparrow? And then Jesus says, but the very number of the hairs on your head 
are known by God. I got a revelation why God counted the hairs of our heads. You know why? Because people like me, he needs to know how many he has to restore when I get to heaven and get a glorified body. So he made a record of it. (laughs) See, some of you thought you were hopeless. No, God knows exactly how it's supposed to be. He'll get it back there. (laughs) Then Jesus said, are you not more valuable than many sparrows? In another instance, in Luke's gospel, Jesus said, are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? All right, I'll put that together. For one penny, you can get two sparrows. For two pennies, you can get five. In other words, one gets thrown in for free to make the deal even more attractive. And you know what? There are so many Christians that feel like the fifth sparrow. The one that's just thrown in for free. I'm the least of the least of the least of the least. And God wants you to know you are the apple of his eye. God wants you to know that he loves you so much that he sent his son to the cross to die for you. God wants you to know that he's not given you a spirit of fear. He has not enslaved us again to bondage of fear, but has given us the spirit of adoption whereby we cry, Poppy God, Abba Father. Uh, The word Abba just simply means Daddy, Papa. That's what he's given us. And on a Sunday morning when we hear that, we can say hallelujah. But you need to remember that on that evil day. You need to remember that when that seismos, when that tempest, when that storm, when that earthquake, when that thing that, sh- that shakes you to the core, that report from the doctor, that uh, telephone call from your bank, that teenager who just went and left, and you don't know where he or she is, In those moments, when a husband and a wife can't get together in agreement, in those moments you need to know that you know that you know, God's given me the spirit of a son, of a daughter. I am his child. Fear has no life, no place in my life. You need to shut the door of insignificance. Because God sees the greatness he's placed within you. In the second area that we open doors to fear. You know, let let me just say this before we go to the second door. What did David say about himself? He said, I am wonderfully and fearfully made. That wasn't arrogance. He realized what a tremendous gift God gave us that we're alive. In that Psalm 8, he said, Who am I that you would think of me when I consider the sun and the moon and the stars and the heavens above? That you would think of me and the Son of Man that you would consider him? And yet you crowned him with glory. You gave him honor. You made him a little lower than yourself. Now, some translations say angels, but the word is Elohim. In the beginning, Elohim created the heavens and the earth. A little lower than God himself. You crowned him with glory and honor. The whole purpose in Jesus' coming was to win not only our hearts back, but win back what Adam gave up to redeem us 
out of the captivity that Adam had opened the door to. That we might be again the sons and daughters of God. Having no longer a spirit of, a, a spirit of bondage to fear, but having the spirit of God that tells us we are a child of God. What does it say in Ephesians? You are now his workmanship. In Christ, created in Christ Jesus unto good works. God has great things planned for your life. He's ordained it. He's planned it. He's thought it out. And all we got to do is get with the program. We get with the program. Life starts to have a different um, depth to it. Now, I made this huge mistake, you know, a long, long time ago. I, I became a Christian. It's almost 35 years now. And um, this October, I will be celebrating uh, our 28th anniversary as a church. And, and this year has been just a tremendous year for us as a church. And it's been one of the most challenging years that we've ever had personally at the same time. You know, and when I was a young Christian, I kind of had this idea. You know, I heard Brother Hagen pe- preach, and I heard Brother Copeland preach, and I heard John Olstein preach. For some of you, that was Joel Olstein's father. <laughs> and I thought, you know, if I just learned enough about faith and the Bible and the promise of God, I would never have another problem in my life. Now, I know nobody here ever thought that. And when problems arose, and when those Moments came and I was shooken to the core. <laughs> I thought, this can't be happening to me. I'm a man of faith. But you know, I found out that my faith is really seen, is made manifest, is demonstrated in those moments when my world is shaken. We've gone through a very challenging time in our family. I'll share this with you. Um, some in the church know it. Pastor John knows it. Um, in, in the end of March, my wife just went for a typical checkup. And um, she called me on the phone. She said, you better sit down. And the doctors had found a cancerous tumor that could not be operated on in her body. And I was glad I was sitting down. And this came out of nowhere. She had no pain. She had no discomfort. We were not... This was not on the plan. You know, I had other things on my agenda. (laughs) But you know, the first thing we did was we sat together and we prayed. We took seven days to seek God. What are we to do? Do you remember the disciples? They woke him up. Don't you care? Save us now. Demanding. Nobody asked, what are we supposed to do? You say go to the other side. We got a problem here. (laughs) Well, we wanted to learn from the situation. And we knew that once we heard from God, we knew that once we had that inner knowing, this is the way, walk in it. No fear will be able to grip our hearts. And you know the battle you got to go through in your mind when you're facing something like that. Oh, and the devil, he's a professional at throwing those fiery dots. You've got to gird up the loins of your mind. That means you've got to take control over what you're allowing in your thought life. You've got to look at the promise of God. 
And you've got to take it out of just no hearing the pastor say it once on Sunday to knowing that you know that you know that you know that you know that by his stripes I am healed. And, 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 you know, here's the thing that really strengthened us was the fact that God knows us, loves us so much, he will care for us. And he has promised us healing and protection. So after one week of seeking God, we had made our decision. We sat down with our children. My children are now young adults. Daughter is 24. My son is turning 20 next week. Hard to believe. (laughs) How could someone that's only 35 have such old kids? I don't know. I don't get it, you know. (laughs) We sat them down and we said, okay, this is the situation. And this is what we've prayed about. This is what we're going to do. And from this moment on, when we think of mom, there's only one thing we're going to say. Thank you, Jesus, that mom is well. By his stripes, she is healed. Um, We had decided to go to medical help. We knew God was leading us. He opened tremendous doors, and it was a challenge. It was not easy. She had seven weeks of, or almost nine weeks of radiation, and two of those weeks were combined with chemo. And if you know anybody, or if you've ever gone through it yourself, or with anybody that you know, you know how physically challenging that is. Normally, with what she had, the last two weeks, they give them morphine to get them through the last few weeks. The most my wife ever took was a half an aspirin, because a whole aspirin would be too much for her. <laughs> a half an aspirin. They couldn't believe it. But we could believe it. But no matter what, and we had good days and bad days in the natural, but no matter what, there was no open door to fear because I knew that I knew that God knows us, loves us, and cares for us. I never for one second questioned God's love in this situation. And thank God the therapy was over. She's... Right now, in the beginning of the third week of a, uh, of a rehabilitation clinic where they just basically deal with the physical and soulish effects of going through this trauma that you've gone through. And every day I talk to her, she just sounds better and better and better and better. I mean, she's, you know, her, her 20th anniversary of the work that she has started with, she has Gospel Arts Studio, she has a college for performing arts, she has a theater that we have regular Christian plays in our church. It's a, a huge opening for us to reach out to our community. And she has her production company that travels and goes other places, be it churches or um, for cities and different functions, and brings the gospel through performing arts into all different places. Well, she's entering her 20th years, so she's got the year already planned. So we already knew this thing had to be over by October because the plan begins. <laughs> and we, there is no plan B, okay? There is no plan B. We know what God told us to do, and we will keep doing it until he says it's finished. But that does not mean you'll never have an evil day. That was the lesson I had to learn. I had to learn to go to God and to be the same in the evil day as I was when I prepared for a Sunday morning, which I enjoy so much doing. God is the same. And he's not given us a spirit of fear. The second reason that we open doors up for fear in our life 
is that we feel that Jesus may reject us. Now, these three doors go hand in hand. In significance, or we have a sense of rejection because we just know we're not always up to par like we think the spiritual man or woman that we look up to is always up to par. Not realizing they're as human as you are. We're on a journey, folks. And the journey is that you and I would be conformed into the image of his son. But you know, when Paul said at the end of his ministry, I ain't there yet. Well, if he didn't get there at the end of his journey, I'm not going to say I'm there. I'm on the way. (laughs) And you're on the way. And we're on the way together. And we all have moments. We all do things. Sometimes we do it by mistake and sometimes we're just lazy. We just do it willingly. And still God's grace abounds. And he does not reject you. The door of rejection. God's grace, his unmerited favor is so difficult for us to grasp. We say in our inside, God surely can't continue to forgive someone like me who's done so much wrong so often. I want you to listen to what Jesus said. This is Matthew's Gospel, chapter 9, verse 2. I love this. This is the story of the man with four great friends. You know, where they opened, they opened up the roof and they let this man down. He came to be healed. He was paralyzed. He's lying on a cart. And what does Jesus say? Man, be of good cheer. Take courage. Your sins are forgiven. Now, there's a wonderful story about healing and about at the same place where Christ paid for our forgiveness. He also prayed, paid the price for our healing. That's wonderful. But I want you to grab this one truth. You've got to take courage so you can accept your forgiveness. You've got to have courage to believe that God forgives you. If he told us, when Peter said, how often am I supposed to forgive this guy? And Jesus said, well, how's about 70 times 7 in one day? Now, you know the response, don't you? If you read the Bible, you know what the response is? Lord, increase our faith. That's what they said. Now, if Jesus told us to forgive one another 409, I don't think he was meaning we're supposed to count. I think he was setting the mark so high that we say, you know what? He's telling us forgive, 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 forgive. There is no limit. If you and I are supposed to forgive one another that way, how much does God forgive us whose mercy and grace has no ending? Oh, but brother, you know. You can hit a point where God will reject. No, God's not going to reject you. The only time God will reject you is when you give up. When you have no more desire. When you don't want to seek him. When you don't want to come back. And the devil will do everything in his power to make your mind so full of condemnation that you want to quit and give up. And a spirit of rejection takes hold of your life. And the door is open for fear because you have no protection. But Jesus says to you tonight, take courage. Our sins are forgiven by the blood of the Lamb because of His sacrifice at Calvary. All we need to do is come. Confess 
Say, I'm sorry. Forgive me. Forgiveness is always there. I I love the scripture in Hebrews chapter 4 where he said that we are to come boldly to the throne of grace and obtain mercy and help. But most people don't read the next thing. In a time of need. We think we can come boldly and receive when we're the super faith man or woman. When we're doing everything right, when the praise of God is in our mouth and we're just doing exactly what we're supposed to be doing, we expect it. Now that's called law and it's called works. And you might get a surprise one day. It's not about what we're performing. It's about where our hearts are at. It's about how we are in love with Jesus. And we trust his mercy and grace in spite of our humanity. And if we do anything right, we know it's because of his mercy and grace. He said, without me, you can do nothing. So if I do anything right, it's because of him anyway. But in those moments, when I know I don't deserve it, is when I know he's going to give it to me anyway. I need his help in my time of need. The church needs to hear about the grace of God. Because we'll never be full of grace with one another if we don't receive the grace of God for ourselves. I don't have time to do the third part that I'm going to preach on Sunday in my own church. But there is one little thing I'll share with you. There is a dark side of the law that you and I can slip into where we go beyond grace. And suddenly we lose the precious freedom of the gospel. We have to fight to stand in the freedom. And that freedom comes by understanding I stand by the grace of God. By the mercy of God. And I have no reason to feel insignificant. Not because I do everything right. But because Jesus loves me. And I don't have to worry about being rejected, not because I always do the right thing, but because Jesus loves me. And I'll give you the third door that we need to keep shut. And these all go hand in hand with one another. The third door is a door of failure. It's actually one of the reasons why we feel rejected. is because we make mistakes. Some willingly, and some we didn't even know. Some things we do, and we're not even aware it's wrong. You know, I think one of the greatest stories about fear, what it does, and how it opens up uh, uh, the door for, for destruction in our lives, is with the story of the, man, the three men with the talents. You know, Jesus gave this story at the end of gospel, uh, gospel, uh, the Matthew's Gospel, sorry. Verse in chapter 25, and he was talking about the end times. And, and he said this, he said, a, a man went away and he gave one man who was working for him five talents, another man two, another man one. Every man according to his ability. Nobody was laid a heavy burden on their shoulders that they couldn't bear. And the one went and he used the five and gave another five. The other one went and took the two and used the two and gave another two. But then there was the one who took the one talent and buried it. And after a long time, the master came back and said, what have you done with what I've entrusted to you? Many of you know the story. But the one with the one, that's the one we want to look at. He took his shovel, dug his hole up, took up the one talent and said, here, I buried it. I had it safe for you. 
And then we read this. I was afraid and I hid your talent in the earth. I was afraid. Fear will cause us to hide what God has entrusted to us because we're afraid we're going to fail. We'll make a mistake. We won't do it right. It won't be so good like somebody else does it. Well, if God wanted somebody else to do it, he would have gotten somebody else. He wants you to do it. He gave you the gift. He gave you the ability. And if we all would simply just use what God gave us, then God's plan and purpose will happen for our generation. I was afraid, and I hid it. He was afraid he was going to fail. He was afraid. He he was afraid that if he didn't perform just right, this master would be mean. Now, we we know he wasn't mean. He was generous. He gave to all. But that fear perverted his perspective of who his master was. That's the same way for Christians. A wrong fear. And I'm not talking about the fear of the Lord, the reverence of the Lord. I'm talking about being afraid of failing, of failing yourself, of failing God. So you rather sit there and do nothing what God has entrusted with you, to you. Not realizing. I found that out a long time ago. If my heart is towards God, God will even take my failures and turn them around for my good and his glory. Oh boy. Oh boy. Amazing how I've seen God do that in the past. You know what that does for me? He gives me confidence for tomorrow. He will. I have no problem taking a risk for God. Knowing that even if I make a mistake, he'll turn it around for my good. Because he loves me. Because he's given gifts to me. Because he's got a good plan for my life, just like he does for your life. I want to close with this thought. Let's open our hearts to be free from fear to what the Word of God has to say to you and me. One of the greatest statements of faith and greatest statements that we should resist fear is from the book of Isaiah in chapter 43. And I want to read that to you right now, verses 1 through 3. It says here, But know this, saith the Lord, that created you, O Jacob, and formed you, O Israel. Fear not, I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I'll be with you. When through the rivers, they shall not overflow thee. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned. Neither shall the flame kindle upon thee. Notice, he didn't say you were never going to have a bad day. He never said the water's never going to come, the fire's not. No, he said when they come, I'm with you. When the fire comes, you won't be burned. I'll protect you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. You know, when we close with finishing the story of this great tempest, the great storm that we began reading in Matthew's Gospel. When the story comes to a close, I'll read the close in Mark's Gospel. It's wonderful. Chapter 4, verse 39. It says, And Jesus arose, and he rebuked the wind. And he said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. 
And he said unto them, why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? Well, that shows you how fear enters. When we let go of our faith, fear takes control. Where faith is, no fear can reside. And they feared exceedingly. (laughs) And said one to another, what manner of man is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? What manner of man is this? I'll tell you a little story in closing. When I was a little boy growing up, we lived in Cranston. I was born in Providence, like everybody else my age, in Lion Inn Hospital. <laughs> we lived in Providence on Fedra Hill the first year I was a baby. Then we moved to Cranston, and then later we moved to Johnston. That was my excursion in Rhode Island. And then I left home. But when we were living in Cranston, I was just a little kid. And I have two older sisters, one which is probably sitting somewhere in the back, and another half-sister sitting right here, because she was probably part of this, Janice. And uh, Janice was like our sister. She lived right behind us and was always over our house. Making me crazy. So as a little boy growing up in this house on Crothers Avenue, we had a problem. We had two bedrooms in this house. And we had three kids. So in the beginning, when John's little, it's no problem. John sleeps with the sisters, with Marie and Sandra. But all of a sudden, they're turning eight and nine. We can't have our goofy little brother in the bedroom with with us. So I was expelled to the back porch that they had glassed in. Now, here's the problem. When you're three or four years old and you're sleeping on the back porch, there was a monster out there. And when everything was quiet, I'd hear it on the window. Now, it was the apple tree. The wind would blow, the apple tree would... But it was a monster. You know what I did? I got up and got mom. She came in the room. She lied down next to me. What manner of woman is this? (laughs) Even the monsters go away. Now, think about it. We forget with whom we have to do. We forget that he spoke heaven and earth into existence. And he's in your boat even though you think he's not looking, his eyes are closed and he's sleeping. He knows exactly what's happening. And he may say to you, speak the word. He may say to you, just get up and walk over it. Or he may say, pick Look for something to hold on to till this storm is over. But you will go through it. The waters will not overtake you. The fire will not burn you. Fear has no place in your life. And I think it's just as, it's just as funny to think about him, who he is, in our situations as a mother coming in and making the monsters go away. I think the monsters were my sisters, but that's another story. (laughs) We're not going to get into that tonight, okay? Don't ever forget. Don't ever forget. 
The creator of heaven and earth loves you. He's for you. He gives you mercy and grace in your time of need. His promises are true. He will never leave you nor forsake you. And then that dark hour, do not run around like a chicken without a head. Go to Jesus. Ask him what to do. Go to his word and let fear have no place in your life. Amen.